the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDeal. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 244. I am your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Ed, who is no longer drinking soda. Mm. Oh, good for you. And this is Mrs. Emma Peel. And we are bringing the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the past two weeks, which would be March 4th through March 17th. We have a total of two books to cover, a little bit of news, and we have a bunch of listener Q&As to go over since we were unable to get to all of those the last episode. So let's dive straight into news. So first up, on March 8th, it was announced that DC is in fact going to be doing a new imprint. This is called the DC Black Label. This is geared towards mature readers. There is two specific ones that have to do with Batman. The first being a book called Batman Damned, which will be written by Brian Azarello with art by Lee Bermejo. This one will have Batman and John Constantine coming together to investigate the death of the Joker. The second title is Batman The Last Night on Earth, which will pair Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo up, and they will have Batman teaming up with a very unlikely sidekick in a new vision of the Dark Knight's future. This is being marketed as the final partnership between Greg Capullo and Scott Snyder, but I'm, I'm doubtful on that. I think that that might eventually change. But if you remember correctly, Last Night was originally announced last October at New York Comic Con as a project between Scott Snyder and Sean Murphy. Since then, White Knight has released... And the title has been successful. And I remember Sean Murphy making a comment on Twitter about how he enjoyed working on his own without having to worry about working with a writer. Not saying that he specifically did not like working with previous writers, but he's, he did say that uh, he wanted to write more for himself and do his own projects rather than writing with writers. So I'm wondering if that's part of the reason why he's no longer attached to this project and how Scott Snyder's going to be doing with Greg Capullo. But needless to say, this is the same project. Batman's in the desert. He has basically Joker's head attached to his utility belt. It's a very strange story. We'll see what happens. Neither one of these have a release date at this point. The first title, which will be coming out as part of the imprint, will be shipping in August. This is a Superman, it's called Superman Year One, which is by Frank Miller. And they were very, very adamant about there is not a specific release schedule with these projects. It may be, you know, it may be released in prestige formats every other month, every five months, every month. There's not setting any specific release schedule. So this is also the place where projects will go. They're not only out of continuity, but also outside of the realm of a normal release schedule. So if we had this announcement probably a year ago, Dark Prince Charming as well as White Knight probably would have ended up under this black label and might be absorbed into black label for further prints and collections going forward. But for now, that's what we've got to expect from DC Black Label. Yeah, this just sounds like an Elseworlds imprint. Kind of wish they just called it Elseworlds, but I always like those kind of stories, so I'm down with it. All right, and then the next announcement comes on March 15th. DC announced that they are going to be doing some more DC and Hanna-Barbera team-ups. These will be releasing in May. This Specifically, if you remember this, I believe it was February or March 
of last year was the last time we had these team-ups. And we had very crazy ones like Suicide Squad teaming up with the Banana Splits. That was one of the few that we covered on the website, but there was about four or five of them last time around. This time around, the one of note for Bat fans is Super Sons crossing over with Dino Mutt. And basically, needless to say, obviously Crypto and Ace the Bat Hound are going to be making an appearance in the title as well. This is going to be written by Peter Tomasi with art by Fernando Passerin. The story is basically the first encounter of the Dog Wonder with the Sons of the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight. So, if you enjoyed the Hanna-Barbera DC team-ups in the past, I know some people didn't enjoy them as much as some of the Looney Tune ones, and then others enjoyed it more than the Looney Tune ones, but there's more coming, which means I'm guessing there's a good chance that we could see more Looney Tune ones in the future as well, so. Probably will. All right, and then our final news piece comes on March 17th, which was more March 16th, but there was a last little bit from this that posted on March 17th. So the first thing announced is, so solicitations, as you're listening to this, are out. Head over to the site for the full list of the solicitations for June. Part of the announcements with the solicitations was, we know that there was a lot of creative changes. We talked about them last episode. Birds of Prey is ending. Super Suns is ending. There's some other series that are coming to a halt or, for the time being, not releasing and for whatever reason dc has slowly decided to start letting out some of the details of the new directions that they're doing because solicitations are releasing and solicitations are going to in some cases spoil some of the stuff that's happening but there was a number of details that were released first up in relation to batman nothing's changing with batman as we knew but there are going to be five individual one shots all written by Tim Seeley, focusing on various members of the Bat family, dealing with basically like a prelude up to the wedding that's happening on July 4th. That's when the issue is releasing where the wedding is actually supposed to be taking place. So what you can expect, you can see Robin versus Ra's al Ghul. Now this is Robin Damian Wayne. Nightwing versus Hush. Batgirl versus the Riddler. Red Hood versus Anarchy. And Harley Quinn versus the Joker. These will all be drawn by a variety of different artists. We've got the full list over on the website. The big thing is that these are going to start releasing at the end of May, presumably go through the end of June, so you'll get one one shot every single week leading up to the actual wedding. So that is the first part of the announcement. All of the covers will be able to be connected and make a really large image, which I'm sure in some way will be able to be printed out in poster form. So that is the first announcement related to the stuff that's coming up. The second one is what we are going to be getting in Detective Comics. Now, if you remember, James Tynion is leaving the title after issue 981. He is going to be replaced by Brian Hill, who is coming on from a variety of different titles, but there's a couple of things that he's probably best known for. He's currently writing, I believe, the Wildstorm Michael Cray, which is one of the Wildstorm series. He also is writing, he's a TV writer too, so he's in the same boat as like the Benson sisters who write for the 100. He is writing a couple different series, but one of the ones that he's writing that is relevant to us is that he's actually writing some of the episodes for the upcoming Titans TV series that's going to be on the DC streaming service. So he's going to be coming on board Detective Comics with number 982, and he is going to be introducing Black Lightning to the team. Not permanently. Bat- Black Lightning is just going to be coming in and Batman and the Bat family are going to be teaming up with Black Lightning for a five-issue story arc. Now, over the course of the weekend, 
There's a number of tweets that came out from him and James Tynion talking about what's coming up. And it basically seems as if he is only coming in for a total of five issues. He's not coming on as the, the new permanent writer. This feels like it's definitely going to be a gap arc. The artist attached to this five-issue arc is Miguel Mendacona, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And he's going to be coming on for all five issues. So I'm guessing this is something that is just basically filling a gap until whatever the big announcement is going to be. Five Issues brings it to August because they still will be shipping it twice per month. So the middle of August, we'll see either a single issue holdover to keep us to September where we potentially see the new creative team take over or something else. We'll we'll figure that out at this point. But he did say on Twitter, Brian Hill, it is, he did say that he's on Detective four or five issues. He did not say he's on Detective indefinitely, so it's just for this five-issue story arc. So the question is, do we think that this is going to be like a fill-in situation like we've seen so many times in the past? Not necessarily with Detective and Batman, but it seems like this is the first time that either one of those series have had an actual legitimate fill-in story. I wonder if it's just because it's so close to 1,000 and they want to make sure there's like a quote-unquote special creative team in place for that. I'm guessing that probably has something to do with it because his five issues will take him through 986 and then whoever, if someone comes on for 987, that's basically, or or 988, I mean, that basically puts them on 12 issues for six months before the 1,000th issue, which I'm assuming will probably be something extremely similar to what they're doing with Action Comics. They have a number of different creative teams do short stories and it's a collection of stories rather than just a single writer doing a single story. My other part of this is I'm guessing that based off of what's happening now, as everyone already knows, and I've said I've been against doing this in the past, but we typically record on Monday nights, which means we know what happens on Mondays. We don't talk about normally what happens on Mondays, but I'm guessing because of what's happening in June, which is the big focus is going to be on Scott Snyder relaunching Justice League because it was announced today that Justice League is going to be relaunching with a new number one in June. I'm guessing the focus for June is going to be either the team books or the fallout from Justice League No Justice. With the Bat books having the five extra one-shots, I'm guessing there's there, you know, there's not going to be anything that's going to be replacing Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, even though that's only one title. And I feel as if Super Sons isn't going to get replaced at this point just because those five books are going to fill in the gaps of what they normally publish and they don't typically publish more than 54 or 55, something like that, issues all together every single month. So I doubt that we're going to be seeing a whole lot of other things. I'm also guessing that some of this fallout from No Justice with Titans and Teen Titans we may not see right away because at this point it hasn't been announced. So I'm guessing that some of that stuff could be announced. Well, actually, we'll get to a small news point in a second, but coming very soon in the near future. Sounds about right. So the last piece is, this has yet to be confirmed by DC, but I'm pretty sure this is the case. So Bleeding Cool revealed that Sam Humphreys could be taking over Harley Quinn. Now, if you've been following Nightwing, you know that he came on board on Nightwing back in December after leaving Green Lantern Corps. He came over and replaced Tim Seeley on Nightwing. He's just about to wrap up the story arc that he did, and then they're having two fill-in issues before they return the book to a monthly title, and then have a new creative team come on board that title. Now, 
he is the the word is that he's coming on to Harley Quinn, and the idea is that Harley Quinn is going to be taking a very new direction, where with Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti not no longer with the title, and Frank Thierry kind of being a writer who writes in the very a very similar style to what we've seen from Connor and Palmiotti. Humphreys is actually going to be coming in in June, and he's going to take over the series. They're not going to renumber it, but they're going to keep the numbering the same, but when it gets collected in trades, it'll be a new volume one, because the idea is they're going to try to bring Harley Quinn back, or get her away from being so out of the way, away from everything that happens within the Batman universe. So, the real question, though, is, however, the solicitation for it specifically states that she's going to be facing off against Darkseid, so... Not sure exactly if that was their intention of getting her back towards the Batman universe if having her face off against Darkseid, but I'm guessing that's fallout from No Justice, which has her part of one of the teams that's facing off against the giant threat, even though it's not Darkseid. So. Does seem kind of weird, though, right? Like, let's make it more grounded. Let's have Harley Quinn fight Darkseid. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that's all the actual news we have. Now, I just want to bring up one real quick thing. So in the past, the last time this actually happened was it was in April of 2016. DC or March, I guess it was the end of March. WonderCon happens at the end of March, early April normally. And two years ago in 2016, DC had a panel at WonderCon where they streamed it live online. They had Jim Lee and Dan DiDio there, and they had a lot of the creative teams come through and say what they're going to be working on with Rebirth. And it was basically like a big, long, hour-long stream of everything to expect from Rebirth. Now, coincidentally, we don't know everything that's happening with the stuff that's happening with everything that's falling out from No Justice. We know that Brian Michael Bendis, we know all his projects because that's already been announced. It has nothing to do with Justice League or Batman or anything like that. But there is a lot of stuff that has been slowly trickling out over the past couple weeks. But a lot of creators are pointing to WonderCon as the announcement point for a lot of stuff that's going to be happening in the summer including the fallout from No Justice, potentially the new creative team that's going to be on Detective Comics. Uh, although I feel like if that happens, it's going to overshadow the fact that Brian Hill's coming on the series and they just announced it literally a week before WonderCon, but I wouldn't put it past them to do something like that anyway. But the point is, it just so happens that the DC publisher panel will be live-streamed yet again at WonderCon this year. And the promise is that there's going to be some big announcements. So if you want all the full details, over on our Facebook page, we actually have set up an event specifically for the live stream. And we will be live streaming it over on Facebook and Twitter for everyone to check out on the day that it actually is happening, which is this Saturday. So if you're listening to this, it's happening right away as you're listening to this on March 24th. So Be on the lookout for that. Obviously, we'll wrap it up in a news article over on the site if anything happens related to Batman, but I'm sure there will be something related to Batman in some shape. So be sure to be on the lookout for that because I'm expecting something to be happening from that because DC seems to be pushing towards that, and a lot of creators keep saying that announcements are coming within the week of what they're going to be doing. So 
be on the lookout. Outside of that, there's two new articles for last week in the Batcave. As usual, those post up on Monday mornings. So if you are so inclined, by the time you head to lunch, are able to check out last week in the Batcave, which is a roundup of all the unique art and hints at what is to come within the Batman universe related to the comics. Things, small comments that the creators tweet out or post on Facebook or Instagram and things like that. And then we always normally have a featured fan who does a variety of different things related to Batman, whether it be art. We've done some other things in the past outside of art as well. So check that out. That always posts up on, on Monday mornings, central time. So by the time you go to lunch, it's it's normally there. So outside of that, there is no other news. We're going to jump straight into our comic book reviews. And the first one we've got is Batman. Batman 42. Everyone Loves Ivy Part 2, Tom King Script, Mikhail Janin Art and Color, and June Chung Color. It's been about three weeks since Ivy has taken control, and I'm using contextual evidence for this because the top 40 number one song for three weeks standing was Falling Leaves, I believe it was, so I can only assume that it's been three weeks. Catwoman and Batman decide to go out and get a burger, though I don't approve of this since I don't eat beef, at one of those little bat burgers. And, of course, Superman is following them around like, uh, well, like an annoying dog, I suppose. And they drive up to a neighborhood house, and Batman gets Catwoman to lean in really close to whisper something. And, of course, the possessed Superman leans in as well to hear what Batman is saying and Batman uses this time to whistle very loudly, very shrilly, and basically take Superman out so that Batman and Catwoman can be alone for a short amount of time. They're shortly attacked by three flashes, and guess who takes those out? (laughs) Catwoman takes all three flashes out. Yeah, that's right. Barry, Wally, and... It's Wallace. Wallace West is Kid Flash right now. Oh, Those weird things. Okay. Yeah, continuity. So they go to this old woman's house, and really, you don't know who this is, so I I shan't spoil. It ends up that (laughs) they uh, they get beat up. We're sort of an off-panel land. Two Green Lanterns, and I guess Gorilla Grodd and his whole army beat up Batman and Catwoman. We don't see it. That's too bad. But we do find them now hanging outside of a large building with, of course, a bunch of supers all around them. Batman then tells them that the way that Ivy has gotten control over everyone is basically through vegetation and, and the fact that we eat lettuce and tomatoes and everything, and this must have been very hard for Ivy, but there is one person, and his name is Johnny Suntress, or Suntress, and it seems like he has, well, it doesn't seem like, he has an allergy to greens, greens, and so Batman is suspecting that he is immune to Ivy's control, and so he wants to find this kid, and so that was the house that Bruce and Selena actually visited, so, mm. What happens is Ivy gets really upset at all of this information coming out and uses Superman to kill Batman. (laughs) So Batman dies in this issue, the end. Actually, what happens is he's resurrected because Ivy controls all sorts of people. So he's resurrected and he's in the hospital 
while he's, I guess, figuring out his place and why he's in this hospital, Catwoman is actually talking with Ivy, saying this isn't like you, what's happening here, I know you, kind of that friendship sort of thing. It's not really working. Batman wakes up in the hospital and he sees none other than Harley Quinn there. And so Harley thinks that you must be surprised, or I guess really Ivy through Harley, it's very confusing, believes that, you know, Bruce must be surprised. But he says, actually, this is what I was expecting because, you know, he has this major uh, brain damage. And of course, she would be the one person that would probably help him. So to be continued. Okay. Where to begin? My first question, and right now the only one that I have, is in regards to this conversation that Catwoman has with Poison Ivy. Catwoman basically believes that Ivy, it doesn't sound like Ivy, that potentially someone else is pulling the strings and Ivy is there, and this, you know, makes Ivy upset. Do you think that... There is someone that is telling Ivy what to do, and this she didn't do this all on her own. And if there is, in fact, someone behind Ivy's machinations, what does that say about Ivy as a character, that she can't be this crazy, this powerful, all on her own, that somebody else has to guide her? Well, I think the thing is that I think no matter what, she is this powerful, and if someone is controlling her, it's just showing that they're controlling her in a way and and they're controlling her because she has the ability to do this you know put everybody in the situation that they're they're clearly in it doesn't feel like poison ivy is meant to be a horrific horrible character in this story i mean there are definitely parts and bits that make you feel otherwise the fact that she basically tells superman to punch him in the face and then kill him with one one punch but the problem is that she knows that she can bring him back to life because she explains you know through magic and other botanical things and stuff i guess you could chalk it up to science you know she knows that she can bring him back to life even if he gets punched in the head so it's not as if she's just straight up killing him knowing that it's he might not come back she's killing him with the understanding that she knows that he she can bring him back so that by itself leads me to believe that she might have gotten angry, but she knows she's still in control. I feel as if someone is behind what's going on outside of her, like maybe potentially controlling her. But I feel like there's two problems with that. The first problem is it does a disservice to Poison Ivy as a character. But if there isn't, but the other problem is that if there isn't somebody behind everything, what drove her to do this? And it kind of negates some of the stuff that they've been aiming towards with her not being such a bad character kind of you know in that same gray light that Catwoman constantly is in they've kind of straddled that line you know during New 52 she went back and she was on the bad side but then when they did the Poison Ivy miniseries she was kind of back in that gray area and even in the Harley Quinn series which is one of the few places she's appeared regularly she's in that gray area as well so I don't know that by establishing her back as a like legitimate humongous villain is the right way to go. But I mean, the problem is that there's not a whole lot left with this story for us to figure out exactly what's going on. So I'm guessing that we're going to be bamboozled and someone is behind it, but it's not going to do justice for Ivy's character or it's going to be Ivy as a villain. And I don't think anybody's going to like that either. So one way or the other, I don't think in either one of those situations that people are going to leave this story enjoying the fact of whatever happened with Ivy. 
I do disagree with you slightly, just the, the, the punching thing. I don't think she killed him because she knew she could... Re- I think in the heat of the moment, like, she just wanted to shut him up and it was an accident. It just so happened that she had people that could heal him. But I don't think she killed him knowing she could bring him back. It's hard because... I guess with, you know, quote-unquote villains, they have this wacky way of thinking because basically she's taken away everyone's free will. And here you have her almost mourning the fact that she was forced to do things that she didn't want to do with the war of jokes or, or poops and giggles, as our friend used to say. And, you know, so she wants to be good and be redeemed, and you're thinking, well, okay, but uh, what you're doing here is not really being good and being redeemed. And she's so extreme here that you almost hope someone's controlling and that she could, in fact, be redeemed from what she's doing here. But on the other side, you uh, it's, it's just, again, you don't want her to be manipulated because it would be the same thing, just like she was being controlled by, I think it was Riddor that had her on her his side. You know, again, she would be there'd be a man behind her so unfortunately it would be doing a disservice to to ivy i just wonder where this is coming from and and i'm looking at that conversation between catwoman and ivy and it just really seems like something's going on there you know the question of who it could be though i mean is it the floronic man it's got to be someone who's related i I think to the green or or who understands that but or it's you know rachel ghoul coming back again or somebody maybe he maybe and that he's it, this is a way to prevent a marriage between selena and bruce who knows i thought of the Roz situation too because i was thinking that would make sense you know especially if he was holding something above her because he's you know has also been an eco-terrorist to some degree like her so i'm guessing that was my first guess of like who could it be that could have something over her and i i can't think of a whole lot of people that would have something over her to actually be able to to do this but the redeeming factor is that if there is some other person behind what's you know controlling her maybe the redeeming aspect could be the fact that she ends up stopping it and revealing it in a way to batman or like she was doing this all along but she she had to you know, I'm just trying to think of like how how to get around the idea of somebody controlling her to get around the you know the two things I pointed out, which is either somebody's behind it or she's a straight up villain. The only way you could get around the, either one of those things is if she's somehow doing something to make it. You know, she's like leaving clues herself to lead Batman to stop the situation that's going on and stop whoever the big bad is behind it if it's not her and then she you know was actually helping but she had to be you know she had to basically go along with whoever it was that was you know having this control over her so that that's my only thought and Razel Ghul I think would be a would be a, a character that would make sense because if he he's he's a big enough bad where if he had something over her and she let it led Batman back around to like stop him it would work. The only downfall potentially that happening is I don't know that Roz would be showing up now if he's going to be in one of those one shots for the prelude um, against Damien. But then again, I I mean that that doesn't mean he couldn't pop up at, you know before that. So yep. Plus the fact that, oh man, but this is just his M.O., which is sort of, now it's just a trope for me and I'm sort of getting annoyed at it, but this is sort of his thing to like cleanse the earth somehow. And that, that is definitely something that could happen. But Harley Quinn's the big, I guess, reveal at the end and, and we see that Batman was expecting this. 
I have kind of two, like an embedded question in here. One was, do you think it is reasonable that Ivy would <laughs> basically brainwash Harley as well when they're in a relationship? Maybe I'm like over judging what a relationship with Ivy would be like, but I, I, I didn't foresee this happening. Uh, do you think she would do this? Is this sort of a hint as to whether Ivy's actually in control? And do you have any idea of why Bruce wanted harley what what part in his plan could she play so i'm guessing the reason why bruce wants harley is because harley is probably not being controlled like everyone else and he's hoping that he can use harley to get to ivy that's my guess i don't know what it would be outside of that but i'm guessing that it has a lot to do with the fact that he believes that harley has a connection to ivy because they've been friends and they've been in a relationship in the past he's going to use their relationship against ivy yeah i'd kind of agree i think that he views harley as ivy's weak spot maybe you'd think there's a better way to get in front of harley than getting killed but i guess that's kind of besides the point but yeah that's my assumption too is he thinks harley is the one person that he can get over with on ivy that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I just, I was shocked to see that Harley was under her control, and I was hoping that maybe the, her speech bubbles weren't green, but when I saw they were green, I thought, oh no, she's really this far gone. But then we're assuming a lot, though. If, if she is sort of this tool that Batman's going to be using, then we're assuming that Ivy does care about her, and then that brings into question why Ivy would even control her now so whew, that's an interesting question i don't know why why he wants harley but you know it could be do you remember that film that original animation film that came out called batman harley yes so do you think it's going to turn out like that where basically they convince harley that you know or they convince ivy that it's too much. Don't listen to the Floronic Man and turn back to the good side. I mean, it definitely could be something like that. I don't know if that's exactly what they're going for. I mean, like, it would be pretty... <laughs> What's the situation that Tom King has been in with the storyline with Wonder Woman... Oh, no. I mean, I'm not trying... I don't believe that he stole that. But if it, this story did end up like that, that would be a big red flag in some people's minds. I'll just leave it... Yeah, I don't I don't know. I hope not. But I could probably see it happening or some variation of that, yeah. Okay. That's all I have for you. All right. So Batman, I'm gonna give a total of three and a half out of five. Um, yeah, three and a half out of five. Three and a half out of five. And over on the website, Corbin gave it four, so that's gonna give Batman a total of three and a half out of five. Let's move into our next book, Detective Comics. <laughs> Detective Comics number 976, written by James Tynion IV, art by Javier Fernandez. Several weeks ago, some human traffickers are surprised by Orphan, who beats them all down easily except for the leader. Boasting, all, uh, boasting of his electrical powers, he vainly attempts to hit Cassandra, and Clayface takes him out. Together, Cass and Basil face the arriving reinforcement villains. Today, in Wayne Manor, Dr. Leslie Tompkins is working with Cass, trying to help her deal with her grief of Clayface's death. Wit Cass says that she is not good, and she thinks Batman and his allies may do to her what Batwoman did to Clayface. Bruce listens in while sitting in the cave and, and is, is 
upset by that statement. As Leslie leaves, she pleads with him to spend time with Cass. On a ship near South America, several Cordoval Talon assassins are in the process of destroying an economic plan for the whole continent when the colony's forces, led by Batwoman, Azrael, and Batwing, save the crew and vessel. In the Batcave, Red Robin finds Batman working at the Batcomputer. Bruce confronts Tim about his attempts to recreate the Gotham Knights team instead of recovering and returning to the pre-Knights organizational structure of the Bat family. Tim is furious, saying that Batgirl's analysis from the last issue is wrong and he can make the team concept work. Bruce says that he's not willing to see Tim destroy himself to do it so and asks Tim to talk to Leslie after she works with Cass. Tim leaves, raging at Bruce's unwillingness to support his attempts to create a better world. Colony airship, Kate and her team return with the captured Talons in tow. Jacob Kane greets them, and together, father and daughter pitch their idea to leave Gotham to Batman and take the Bat-Soldier idea global to keep peace. Luke and Sean Paul sign unenthusiastically. Alone in one of his robin's nests, Tim releases a scream of rage, sorrow, and frustration. He is surprised by a voice from the shadows. Ulysses Armstrong, the general expelled from the colony, has arrived, offering to help him succeed in his plans using Brother Eye, stolen from Bat Tim's computer during his assault. All right, so Detective Comics. I've got a couple of things. The The first one is there's this the beginning of the issue, the situation that takes place with Cassandra. When she's talking to Leslie Tompkins, she states to her that she believes that Batman and the Bat family, she didn't say in these words, but she feels as if they could do to her what Batwoman did to Clayface, meaning they she feels like the Bat family could kill her or I guess get rid of her just like Batwoman got rid of Clayface. Thoughts on that before we go into something else? It does seem like a bit of an overreaction from Cass. I mean, I get that she has trouble communicating, and she definitely doesn't see the world like the rest of us do. So, I mean, I understand that part of it. But, like, first of all, the entire team didn't kill Clayface. Just Kate did, and Kate's gone. And second of all, Clayface was rampaging through the city potentially killing hundreds or thousands of people. So I get maybe a bit of her paranoia, but find it kind of unfounded. Oh boy. Yeah, the fact that she feels expendable is pretty intense, but it has to come from somewhere. She's not unhinged. She's not the type of person, while while her thinking, I think, is, you know, as, as you rightly said, Ed, it comes, you know, is, is uh, she forms things and ideas differently than we do. She's not unhinged in the fact that she's going to pull this out of nowhere. So I think that there's obviously some signs, and I think she's she is looking around. And she can see things that people can't see. I mean, that was one of her biggest strengths is body language and things like that. So I think there's something going on that she's catching a whiff of that other people may not be as aware of. So I think while this is something that pre-Flashpoint would be unheard of, I think with how closed off and almost alienating Batman is right now to her, because this is not Unfortunately, Cass does not have the support system that she did in pre-Flashpoint with with Barbara Gordon and Bruce Wayne. And so I think without that, this seems like a pretty realistic thing in her mind. We think it's extreme, but I think it's got to be coming from someplace. So I just don't know exactly where, but, uh, you know, given our heated debate from last episode. Okay, so my take on this is I find it, as Ed said, out of nowhere – because I get that she understands things a little bit differently than everybody else, 
but it seems a little odd that she thinks that she is just that expendable. The biggest problem with that is just last issue, we had Alfred reaching out to her and saying, do you want to watch the ballet with me? So even if Batman himself is not spending time, which I I believe that he should spend time with her, but even if he's not, it, it's not as if she's completely alone now that, that Clayface is gone. And that's that's the issue I think I have with this, is this idea that you know she feels so alone just because he's gone, especially if, after everything that just have happened in the last issue. I know that she wasn't included with the Bat family when, you know, in, in the meeting in the Batcave, but at the same time, it wasn't like she was completely just left alone in a room to sulk either. So the thing is, I don't, I don't, I don't see that. The other thing I want to talk about is, so as it was not really hinted at, but actually shown Kate joined up with the colony. The colony is now going to go global. Working with uh, Azrael and and Batwing are in tow. They are now part of the colony as well. The question is, the colony was never really like authorized to do anything in the first place. And with all of the organizations out there in the DC universe, whether it be Test Force X, whether it be the actual Suicide Squad, whether it be Argus, whether it be Star Labs. I mean, there's so many different organizations out there that are running different things. And then on top of that, you also have just the generic government organizations as well. There's a series that just started as part of like the new age of DC heroes called Damage. And that character is part of a government organization that basically uses him as a weapon if you haven't checked it out the first issue is kind of like ho-hum but actually got really good at the second issue so I, I suggest checking it out but the point is there's a lot of government organizations out there we know that jacob kane is in some ways a disgraced member of the military because they pointed out at the beginning of detective comics when he started the colony and all of that that he was not he was not supposed to be doing what he is doing so the question is by going global and aligning herself with her father who is a disgraced member of the military doesn't it seem like batwoman azrael and luke fox are all becoming basically outlaws to these government organizations as well yeah of course of course they are (laughs) well i just i i say that because the thing is like it seems as if the intent of them doing this is because it seems like luke and azrael are citing and i don't i i don't want to get get into the reasonings of why they're joining her other than they just believe in her herself. No. But, well, then what What do you think the reasons are for them joining her? Dude, they're said, I mean, I would be absolutely 1,000% shocked if this turned out to be anything but they were sent by Batman to keep an eye oh, on Oh, no. I'm not saying I like it, but you know it sounds like something we would read in this comic, right? It does, but at the same time, they those two were the two, the only two that agreed with her decision to kill Clayface. So, he, like, if if they were being sent by Batman, and I don't know that that's the direction we're going either. I think it's more of they are just in the in the same mindset as her. I don't. I could see Aswell to a degree if you if you understand that he doesn't have the issue with killing. Luke Fox, on the other hand, I don't see how he connects at all to her. I don't see that at all. I don't see it. I mean, like, if anything, I could see Cassandra in a different world situation being maybe in the same mindset that killing is an option, but not the way she's currently being written and not 
you know, in this in the exact same situation that we currently are in. But Luke Fox just seems completely out of left field because he's like Tim Drake. He's very analytical. He's not. He doesn't. So like I don't know. I I just I don't understand why they they joined up with her and are now aligning themselves with basically somebody who is an outlaw. I'm not saying that it's Kate Kane. I'm saying that it's Jacob Kane because, I mean, it was not that long ago that Jacob Kane also had General, who is a villain, aligned with him as well. Even if they were reestablishing that character and it's not the same character from before and it's supposed to be a new character, he's still a bad guy because they kicked him out. But it just feels like it's one of those weird situations where I don't understand why they're they're aligning themselves. And the fact that Jacob Kane is so adamant about, let's take this global, let's just get out of Gotham, and then we don't have to deal with Batman. That's true. Don't have an issue with that. It leads up to a perfect storyline that, that could happen in the pages of Batwoman, even though Batwoman continues to not deal with the events that's happening in Detective Comics, which is so strange because Detective Comics basically wrote had a two-issue story arc that was the lead-in to the Batwoman title, but... I digress. It just seems weird to me that they're going to go global and something isn't going to happen. I mean, something's got to happen in the next couple of months where this wraps up in some way because we don't have that many issues left that Tiny is going to be writing. And even if they go off and do their own thing and then it eventually pops up in the pages of Batwoman that that's happening, fine. But there still has to be some sort of like conclusion to this story. And it can't just be, well, they're just not in the book anymore. Good riddance. I take offense that you call them stone cold killers. Someone said it. Because if you noticed, that's the furthest thing from Kate's mind. Like they wrote that she wants that to be the last thing that they do. And even when they come back from that mission, Jacob is commenting on the fact that that's the first mission we had that we didn't have any casualties. So this is it's a good thing. It's not like Luke is, is Luke and Jean-Paul are going on knowing they're going to commit homicide. I think they're going on with this belief that they're trying to turn that particular team around. And they're just following Kate because I think they believe that she had no other choice but to do what she did to, to Clayface. Now, yes, I could potentially see them being little minions for Batman. But those two of all people, I mean, they're they're not very close with Batman. I would say it'd have to be somebody else, potentially. So that would be, I don't know. They're not the most realistic choices for Batman to say, could you please keep an eye on Kate there but we know that he's done it I mean he sent little Tim right to watch over Huntress way back when with uh, with Contagion and all that stuff he sent Jean-Paul to watch Tim he does that all the time doesn't he so I, I guess I could see that I won't like it if that's true but uh, part of me also wonders is Tim the one who sent them because Tim seems the one that's a little power hungry right now Mad. He's mad with power. Maybe they didn't send both. I think you might have a point there, Dustin, but I could definitely see Batwing being this plant, couldn't you? Mm-hmm. Yes. Because, I mean, Asriel, I mean, he's a loser anyway. So, I mean, nobody really cares what happens to him, but, like, I could totally see, like, Batwing, the, a member of the Fox family joining a paramilitary group. Come on. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, it's just not happening. Yeah, and to be clear, it wasn't me who said the Stone Cold Killers. Who was it? Was, it was who Ed. was it? It was Ed. I said the thing about I don't understand why they're joining. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're joining up, and then he said Stone Cold Killers. I just want to point that out because it feels mm-hmm. like I am bombarded 
with these disagreements so sure. often. Yeah. So, but basically, my, my my thing is, I don't know that they're. I mean, Batman has definitely done it a bunch of times where he has planted somebody. The idea of Tim Drake being the one who sends the plant could cement that future Batman situation that we you know that we keep going back to so often. Um, so my thing is, you know, I don't know. It's one of those things where I I, I am hoping. See, the thing is that for me, the solution to me, and I don't know that this is how it's going to end up becoming, but the solution to me is if that woman wants to go and do this thing with her father, I'm not opposed to it. If Especially with Jacob Kane saying, let's go global and leave Gotham to Batman, that's fine. Then do that and then tell this story over in the pages of Batwoman. That's a perfect place to tell this story. The team has decided that they don't want Batwoman back on the team or within the family or whatever. And they're not welcoming her back or she doesn't want to come back. So let her go off and do her thing. Leave it alone in her own title. And then focus on the other members that we already previously had that are still around. Or other, you know, if you want to throw in some extra characters like you want to cover Nightwing or Damien or whatever. Do that in the pages for the next couple of issues. And focus on those characters rather than doing this. Now, I don't know if we're going to see Kate again. I would assume it's not the end of the story, especially with the general popping up at the very end. So my my thing is, I just it just feels like there's too many moving pieces at this point for there only to be basically, I think, like five more issues left before Tynan's done. And I just feel like there's not enough time to wrap all of this stuff up. But then again, I've had the exact same thought when it comes to other story arcs that he's done. And then stuff gets conveniently wrapped up within pages. So so that being said, I'm going to give Detective a total of three and a half out of five. Three out of five. Three out of five. All right. And over on the website, Ian gave it four. So that's going to give Detective Comics a total of three and a half out of five. Bad ranks. That is all of our in-depth reviews. Let's jump over the site for Greater Gotham. First up on March 7th, we have Main TV Books. We already talked about Batman number 42, Nightwing number 40. Nightwing escapes from his watery death trap and chases after the judge who targets another Bloodhaven casino. This is reviewed by Paul. He gave it two and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. 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 Harley Quinn number 39, Killer Croc lays claim to Coney Island as Batman's rogues gallery runs wild while Harley faces Mr. Zaz. This is reviewed by David. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Abstain. Bane Conquest number 10, Bane gets intel to infiltrate Cobra's base of operations by flipping a disgraced general while Batman positions moves against Bane as things come to a head. This is by David. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. Abstain. Secondary TBU books, Batman White Knight number six. After the GTO unit moves to arrest Batman, Neil Joker uses the giant freeze cannon to hold Gotham hostage and demand the return of the real Joker. Zubay Adil, he gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Abstain. The Shadow Batman number six. The miniseries comes to a close with Batman facing off against a mind-controlled Robin and Ra's al Ghul as the Shadow battles Shawang Kwan. This is by Paul. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs up. Abstain. 
Harley and Ivy meet Betty and Veronica number six. Harley and Ivy are trapped in an explosive situation along with Betty and Veronica as they try to save Sweetwater Swamp. This is you by Jerry. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Abstain. Abstain. Main DC Universe books, Justice League number 40, as their actions continue to cause social conflict on Earth, the Justice League faces death in space. This is you by Ian. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs down. Abstain. Secondary DC Universe books, Bombshells United number 13, which included digital chapters number 25 through 26. The bombshell versions of Elisa Yao, Black Canary, Frankie Charles, Black Batgirl, Killer Croc, Bet Kane, Cullen Rowe, Kathy DeQuance. Mm. Uh, it's the, the Batwoman from the Mystery of the Batwoman animated series, for those of you who are wondering. I don't know how to pronounce it. Harper Rowe, Tim Drake, and Nell Little all appear in the issue. Deathstroke number 29, Arkham Asylum, appears in the issue as Deathstroke is imprisoned there. Green Arrow number 38, Black Canary, Kate Spencer, and Batman all appear in the issue. Injustice 2 number 21, which includes digital chapters number 41 through 42. The Injustice versions of the League of Assassins, Damian Wayne, Ra's al Ghul, Athanasia al Ghul, Deadshot, Killer Croc, Man Bat, and Orca all appear in the issue. Moving on to March 14th, we have main TV books. We already talked about Detective Comics. Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, number 20. Batgirl's secret hacking has cost the birds the life of one of their friends. Dinah and Helena feel betrayed by Barbara. Can they ever have a trusting, working relationship again? This is by Jerry. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Abstain. Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 20. Bizarro's true intentions begin to surface to Jason's shock. Artemis is caught discovering Bizarro's synthetic kryptonite. This is drew by Bill. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Ragman, number six. Rory's unit makes the ultimate sacrifice to save the day. This is drew by Tony. He gave it two and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs down. Uh, abstain. 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 Second, there was no secondary TBU books. Uh, main DC Universe book, Titans number 21, is the Brotherhood of Evil plots world domination. The Titans try to deal with the issue they have at hand, their own friendships falling apart. This is by Jessica. She gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. Abstain. Justice League of America number 26, Dream Slayer and Havoc save Angor, and the main man flies off into the night. This is by Tony. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Abstain. Abstain. Suicide Squad number 37, Hack pulls the Suicide Squad into the digital realm to find her killer. This is by Paul. He gave it one and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one thumbs down. Thumbs down. <laughs> Abstain. Trinity number 19, we see more of the Trinity's quest through Scartoris, Scar- and their mystery interviewer is revealed. This is by Tony. He gave it four to five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs up. Um, uh, Abstain. I had no idea what you said. said. Abstain. Okay. Secondary DC Universe books, Eternity Girl number one. Harley Quinn and Joker make a brief cameo on a television in the background. Gotham City Garage number 11, which includes digital chapters number 21 through 22. The Gotham City Garage version of Catwoman appears in the issue. New Superman and the Justice League of China number 21. Batman of China and Robin Bot both appear in the issue. Sideways number two. The story continues to take place in Gotham City. Finally, trades and hardcover releases that have come out over the past two weeks include... Batman and Harley Quinn hardcover, Batman by Neil Adams, Volume 1, trade paperback, Tales of the Batman, Gene Colan, 
Volume 2, Hardcover, Super Sons, Volume 2, Plan of the Capes, Trade Paperback, Justice League of America, Volume 3, Panic in the Microverse, Trade Paperback, Justice League of America, Power and Glory, Trade Paperback, All-Star Batman, Volume 2, Ends of the Earth, Trade Paperback, All-Star Batman, Volume 3, The First Ally, Hardcover, Batgirl, Stephanie Brown, Volume 2, Trade Paperback, Justice League of America, The Bronze Age, Omnibus, Volume 2, Hardcover, and DC Comics, The Art of Darwin Cook, Trade Paperback. That is all of the books have released in the past two weeks. If we gave a book a thumbs up, thumbs down, neutral, or an abstain, those issues are available for you to check out over on the website. We have detailed synopses of all of those titles and then detailed reviews, obviously, as well. So be sure to check out the website for all the latest reviews that we have to offer. New reviews post Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday every single week. So make sure to check out the site on those days. Outside of that, uh, before we dive into listener Q&As, I want to take a second to thank our Patreon supporters for the month of November. November, wow. For the month of February, I want to thank Lisa, Jerry, No Deuces, Stephanie, Ian, Robert, Anthony, and Emil. Thank you all very much for uh, uh, supporting us, and thank you to everybody else who is supporting us at the lower levels. We appreciate your support, and we appreciate the fact that you believe in TBU. So if you are so inclined to donate your money to TBU, be sure to head over to the site. There is a link that you can click on to our Patreon uh, page and then you can do it. Uh, right now we are sitting at somewhere in the neighborhood of, I believe, 60 something percent of what our monthly goal is. If we can get to our full goal, we'll have enough to actually start a video podcast. So that would be awesome Whoa. if you're interested in doing that. So. Yeah, not, not video podcast for here for the comic cast. Let's just be clear on that. Oh. Uh, we're not going to randomly start showing up on, on on your screens. But that all being said, there's other things that we have inclined to. Also, if you are not interested in supporting us on Patreon for whatever reason, and you have decided that basically you want something for your money, I am open to ideas as to what you would like to purchase from TBU, whether it be shirts, hoodies, hats whatever if you have checked out our social media accounts you'll notice that we have our new logo posted it's not all over the website yet because we're still working on the new design for the website but the new logo is out there so if you like our logo and you'd like to see it pop up on something and that is something that would so incline you to potentially become a patreon supporter let me know in the comments section because i am interested in changing up the reward tiers on patreon going forward in the future so if you are interested in seeing other rewards or if you are currently a patreon supporter and like to see different rewards be sure to either leave a comment in the comment section or send me an email at tbu at the batmanuniverse.net all right so moving on to listener q a's We have, as I said, a couple of comments from the last episode that we were unable to get to. So we're going to get to those first, and then we're going to get into the new comments because there's a bunch of new comments that we'll discuss, including a bunch of comments from people who don't normally send us comments. So it's because uh, you publicized that we got into a fight, so of course true. it was like clickbait. It's not clickbait because it was, it was a fight. <laughs> yes, 
But and it was you a heated fight, them. and I, I, I was extremely upset by the end of the recording. So it wasn't clickbait. Were you? <laughs> oh my! You were extremely upset. Yes, I was extremely upset. We'll get there. Oh my All right. goodness! All right, so let's dive into the comments from two episodes ago. So these episodes were posted on episode two forty-two. So the first one. Now keep in mind, some of these things are going to be a little bit outdated, just because we've obviously gotten the next issues already but we're going to do them anyway because i think that some of the there's a lot of comments that are worth discussing so our first comment comes from ian regarding dc zoom and inc i love the idea this is the market that dc really needs to be hitting but the real issue is how are they going to distribute these books you can aim at the correct demographic children but without a way of getting those books into the hands of people this endeavor will fail that means they need to figure out a way to get this out of the specialty shops, which are not really a place for kids most of the time, and into bookstores and grocery stores and libraries. I do wonder how they will manage the transition from these deliberately kid-focused books into the quote-unquote main continuity floppies on a weekly basis, or if they're planning for the eventual complete co- collapse of the comics market. So let's just dive into this one. So the thing is... They are making a consorted effort to make sure that the DC Zoom and DC Inc. stuff appear in completely different avenues than the normal comic shops. Yes, they will be in comic shops, but they are going out of their way to go to places that I don't think DC Comics has ever really gone to. For example, a lot of the details for the books that we talked about that episode that you're commenting on, a lot of the books that they released details and they had the writers for the, the series discussing the projects was actually at a American library conference, which had libraries from all over the country at a convention, basically discussing some upcoming projects and things. And they had a massive panel actually at that. It wasn't at a comic convention at all. They're definitely going to try to get this stuff in other avenues like libraries, like bookstores. And I wouldn't doubt if some of this stuff actually ends up popping up in maybe, let's say, Scholastic Book Fairs or something like that. Because I know Scholastic has a deal with Warner's, Warner Consumer Products, which happens to be a part of Warner Brothers that is also headed by Diane Nelson, who's the president of DC Entertainment as well. So needless to say, I'm pretty sure that no matter what ends up happening, they're going to try their best to get this all over the places. And I honestly believe that there's going to be less of a focus on the comics avenue, like the normal direct market avenue, than there is going to be doing it at bookstores. It's not going to be like a normal book where it comes out in a floppy, obviously, because these are all collected, but or they're all graphic novels, but at the same time, they're going to be releasing everywhere at the exact same time. It's not like some of the stuff we see where it releases a comics market differently than digital, than, you know, different than normal bookstores. It's not going to be like that at all. It's going to be releasing all the same places at the same time. So I think a great idea to get it into the kids' hands would be put it in Toys R Us. That would be a horrible idea because Toys R Us is going under. Okay, Stella, go ahead. Lil Gotham returning is the biggest news for me, as I think that title was one of the best things DC had going for it. Dustin Nguyen mentioned last year at Baltimore Comic Con that he was bringing it back and that he wasn't interested in doing more Secret Hero Society. Oh, because licensing was too complicated and exhausting. I do hope that we'll get to see some Stephanie Brown in Lil Gotham this time, since she appears as Batgirl on the newly announced Complete Collection Omnibus cover that Nguyen has drawn out this August. Yes, so real quick on this... 
Little Gotham is great. Oh yeah. Secret Hero Society, I actually we have my house has all three issues or all three books. It's a series of books that him and Derek Friedos was writing and working on that have released over the past three years. Right after Christmas, the the latest issue, which was or the latest book, which was book three, came out. It's unfortunate to find out that he doesn't want to do any more of these because my son really enjoyed them. But at the same time, if the stuff that they're doing with DC Inc. Or Zoom ends up, you know, being a replacement for that type of stuff. I'm I'm completely fine with it. And Little Gotham is freaking awesome. So. Little Gotham is awesome. More Little Gotham is good for everybody. Yes. Agreed. I do think that some of the titles seem to be focusing a bit too heavily on specific political topics. Ah, 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 ah. I just talked about this on my own show. That I think will shrink the audience, but most of the books seem like they're attempting to reach the widest possible base of readers. And for Stella's concern that they're just hiring in-house people, they've also gotten Meg Cabot from Princess Diaries, Ridley Pearson, Peter Pan, and the Starcatchers, who are really widely known writers with established reputation. Regarding Batman, there were some really complicated issues with the story of the gentleman, and I think you both hit them all in your discussion. However, I think you should have mentioned how awesome Joelle Jones's art was, even though the story was a difficult one. Smiley face. Emoji. And the art was magnificent. It, Joelle Jones does an amazing job. I mean, at this point, anything that she's touched that's Batman related has been amazing. We don't, we, we honestly, we probably do a really bad job of talking about the art on this show. <gasps> I, mean, just, I forgot to do my little <clears throat> segment this time. Yeah, we, we're just really bad about talking about art. I, uh, my thing is, I'm always really focused on the story just because that's the type of reader that I am. But yes, the art is a huge factor in obviously this stuff because the medium is art just as much as writing because it's a comic book it's not just a novel but i think that we probably do a really bad job of focusing on the art is when we probably should make a consorted effort as stella tried to do focusing on some of the art in the future no i'll have to do that next time lastly regarding tech dustin and Stella are spot on in their discussion of steph being written off again especially frustrating as she told anarchy last issue that she was quote where she needed to be, end quote. And now she's leaving, giving us readers whiplash. I will say that I have a behind-the-scenes theory that Steph and Tim's stories are out of whack right now because Tynion was forced to delay Lonely Place of Living based on what was removed from the baton. That being said, I think Tynion had a good idea for Steph's story, but stretching it out this long to accommodate Tim's storyline has really alienated her fan base, and I'm really sad that she's going to be gone again. Yeah, um, there's a there's a couple different problems with this. So one of the other things is the Prelude comics that were announced that are coming for the wedding coincidentally have Tim Drake missing from these stories they have Jason Todd, they have Damien, they have Dick, they even have Harley Quinn, but where is Tim? Again, missing in action, and this isn't the first time Tom King has written stuff that features the Bat family that's not including Tim Drake. And it's one of those things where I have to wonder if there was some sort of weird thing where Tom King wasn't touching Tim Drake because of the stuff that was happening in Detective Comics with him dying and then him coming back. I also am trying to understand what exactly the reason for him dying when he did and then coming back when he did, since it had nothing at all to do with the return of Do or like the beginning of Doomsday. Nothing that has happened has been that ha like. If it was supposed to tie in with something related to Doomsday Clock, which was the assumption when we found out he was dead, the only thing that it's tied into is the reveal of who Mr. Oz was, 
which still to this day has not really tied back into anything having a doomsday clock. So I don't understand, like, the entire intent was, so Tim Drake had to die, Tynion said that he wanted to be the one who was going to kill him if he was going to die, but he knew he was going to be able to come back, so he wanted to be the person who also brought him back. All this happened, but why did Jeff Johns have anything to do with this? Because at this point, and I know that Doomsday Clock is a couple months behind of where we would have assumed it should have been, because it's now going to be every other month instead of every month, but at the same time, like Doomsday Clock was going to be 12 issues, started in November, would have wrapped up initially when the initial announcement was that they were going to take two months off wasn't even going to finish up until 2019 anyway how did any of that play out with what was going on with tim drake anyway i just don't understand what the entire intent was with having him locked up in that in that place only for him to return and have no sort of like repercussions in any of the other titles and that's my biggest problem with it is like so he was taken out or he's taken off the board for whatever reason he's not appearing in, in, over in batman Again, for whatever reason, he comes back for whatever reason at the time he does for whatever reason. I just, I don't know. I wish there was just more meaning. And part of it has, yes, to do with, I feel like something with the timeline stuff got really mixed up somehow. And I don't know where it was or how it happened, but something happened. And we're going to find out about it probably five years from now. Mm. Well, I really like Doomsday Clock, but it's not a Tim Drake story. Yeah, I agree. Doomsday Clock is great, but it has nothing to do with anything that's going on that would prevent anything like this from happening. And honestly, now that we're in two or three issues into Doomsday Clock, I can't think of any circumstances where Tim Drake will be involved any more than tangentially, right? Yeah. Like, I don't see that's a Tim Drake story at all. I don't, I don't know. Like you said, I think obviously something changed because if not, somebody screwed up because it does. this doesn't even make uh, the slightest bit of sense. Okay. So our next comment comes from Jessica. Not bad, but not good enough. I read in Tom King's voice, honestly. Almost as if, with one sentence, Bruce and himself were apologizing to all those who felt offended by the storyline. Also, the way I see it, Catwoman was being protective, not necessarily jealous. The man she loves is trapped in a different dimension, fighting everlasting hordes of monsters, fulfilling a duty that was not his to begin with for years upon years. If she was anything but pissed off and impatient, that wouldn't be in character with the woman who's there to catch Bruce when he falls. I also believe King's point was showing how different Bruce's friendship with Clark and Diana are, and how they are not lesser for being different. He did go overboard with the whole 30-some years, but what I got from the arc was that Bruce and Diana share a bond that is more brotherhood than friendship per se. Together they fight their fights, they fulfill their duties, they have each other's backs, but they are not exactly casual friends. I think they have an understanding of how deeply dutiful the other is in a way that no other leaguer can understand. Diana left her home and her people to fight for mankind and we all know bruce dedicates his entire life to being batman they both made a promise to the gentle man and they will keep it no matter what and they will fulfill their duty of fighting everlasting hordes even if it is draining and tiresome and seemingly well everlasting well said the one thing that i want to bring up there was a interview that was done if you've ever heard of the podcast word balloon definitely look it up it's a it's a it's an awesome podcast um and recently they interviewed tom king and he talked about all kinds of stuff but specifically he was talking about he was interviewed right after the second issue for this for that wonder woman story came out and let's just put it this way he was not 
pleased about, and I'm not saying this like he was mad, but like he was not pleased by everything that happened with the Wonder Woman story. He had said in the interview that he had never read that Superman story that that people were saying that it had, you know, that he he pulled the story from. He had said that he never read it. He never even heard about it. He actually thought he was using story ideas from some other story that had nothing to do with the DC Universe at all. Um, he went on to say that he was really upset by the fact that everybody got so upset about the cliffhanger at the end of the first issue with Batman and Wonder Woman potentially kissing because he, he didn't intend for it to be the way everybody interpreted it. And he can't have really thought that he, it was a cliffhanger. I don't want to get into this. I already did this with Stella. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to argue. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't, I don't, Dustin and I are at odds. I don't want to get into whether or not it was a real cliffhanger or it was a fake cliffhanger, whatever. The point is, he he was he was upset by the fact that everybody read into the cliffhanger whether or not he intended for it to be whatever it was. The point is, he was very upset with how the entire story ended up being received by everybody. He was upset about the fact that it was that there was the controversy about the similarities between that and the Superman story. He was upset about the the relationship that people were believing that uh, he was trying to portray between Batman and Wonder Woman with the temptation. He was really really like it, it, he was like a guy who was like punched in the gut way too many times when he was talking about this. I felt kind of bad for him, but the the entire thing is like sometimes. You know, he did say in the interview, like, he was upset by it, but, you know, he just, as a writer, you have to learn from what you do and how people per- perceive what you do and then, you know, learn from the reactions of your readers. So, you know, if anything comes out of it, he'll, you know, he'll probably not do something like that again if that's not what he wanted to do in the first place with that cliffhanger situation. There's nothing he could have really done about the entire you know, the similarities between the previous story, especially if he had never read it, it's it's not like it's not heard of that stories are not similar in some ways. So that that was the whole thing with that. But if you haven't checked out the interview, definitely go check it out. Word balloon, Tom King interview. It was literally came up like a week and a half, or as you're listening, it's like within the last two weeks. So definitely check it out and just check out that podcast on a normal basis. I don't believe for a second that Tom King stole it. Like there are so many stories out there and, and not just comics, but books that there's always going to be an over, you know I mean, I'm saying like some type of overlapping. I mean, to not like his writing is one thing, but to accuse him of plagiarism is something else that's imputing. Not that you disagree with his, his, his spirit of, of writing, but that's saying that you, you think he's of low moral ethics. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I don't think that's a fair criticism for people to put against him. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing is it was blown out of proportion because somebody basically accused him of, of taking the idea and he didn't have the opportunity because there was a convention going on at the time. He didn't even have the opportunity to really respond before that and then other websites had already picked up on the fact that there were similarities or somebody brought more attention to it and before he even had a chance to even talk about the similarities or read the issues or even respond to the initial claim, people had blown it out of proportion and, and it became too big. And it's one of those things where like, it really sucks in today's world because if you don't respond, it's just as bad as responding in a negative way in, in a lot of cases. So, yeah. I mean, could you imagine the book we could fill if we took comic book stories and compared them to similarities from other comic book stories? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. Like, what are we talking about here? Yeah. yeah. I, so... 
We're going to dive into our comments from the previous episode. Now, if you remember, the main thing Estelle wants to point out was, I guess, my clickbaity reaction to our argument, as, as she puts it. So the reality is a, a vast majority of the comments that people sent in are in relation to the fact that they were on either the side with me or the side with you two, and I'm not I'm not trying to say one was right or wrong because I, these people will have their chance to say that. But the point is, uh, it was definitely, and I will say this: I left the last episode. and I was very upset because I I really uh, why I'm when explain. we asked you if you were upset, you said no. Yes, that's true, and that was after the episode we had finished recording, so nobody actually heard that conversation. But the reality of it was, I was I was upset. I felt like I was being ganged up on. I got done and I wanted to go vent to my wife about what happened, but then something happened with our kids and then it never even happened and then it left me in a bad mood for the rest of the night. Needless to say, the thing is, we, I think all three of us in general are very, we all have very strong personalities when it comes to our feelings and opinions and things like that. And I think that in more cases than not, you guys tend to agree with each other. That doesn't always happen, but... I feel sometimes that I am made into this person who is just wrong because I need to be wrong. And that's the way I felt last episode. That's not to say that that's what you're intending or that's what you're doing for for a fact. It's just that's how it felt because I felt like no matter what I said, it just kept coming back to that you're wrong and that was it. So without diving into you know therapy for the three of us, Let's get into these comments. What an interesting couch that would be, the three of us in the therapist office. Mm. <laughs> so, the first comment comes from No Deuces. Dustin is right. Dustin is right. If you have a question or concern in your life, it is not crazy or wrong to consult or seek counsel from your family, especially when it involves biological family. The real Bat family was consulted. Who is to say Bruce will listen? Who cares? I didn't care what they decided about her, but after listening to this nonsense, I hope they put her in the phantom zone. (laughs) Hey. Wow. Well, I appreciate that Dustin's right. I'm pretty sure I will keep that soundbite later on from Stella saying that. But... Uh, I I don't know that they need to put her in the phantom zone by any means. I don't think that's even remotely. I know you're being sarcastic there when you're saying that too. But yes, I mean, it just comes down to who he consulted is a different story. A lot of these comments are going to say the exact same thing. So let's just keep going with Ian's comment. I think Tiny is leaving tech because he's stretched too thin. He's writing his creator-owned titles for ever many metal books and is almost certainly writing at least one title coming out of... Nope, justice. I call it that because I am full of nope when I think about it. Plus, DC and that rebirth was a two-year plan, so I think all these creative changes are part of the original two-year contracts they made with most of these teams. I sure saw a sadness at the Birds of Prey title ending. I don't know where they're going next, but I look forward to seeing it. The one thing that's interesting about that comment is the Bensons actually had said on Twitter that they were going to be announcing their new project at Emerald City Comic Con, and then either something got shifted or they were not allowed to announce it because it never happened. I mean, they literally had like a week in between, and then it was, yeah, we're going to be announcing it because people kept asking, like, well, what are you going to be doing next? And outside of the Green Arrow annual that they're writing, which had already been announced and wasn't something that was they needed to wait to announce, they haven't had a project been announced yet. So I'm waiting to see what ends up happening with that. You think they get one of the Jim Justice League books? 
I don't know. I mean, like Suicide Squad or something like that, maybe. Well, the problem is Suicide Squad has not been immediately linked to everything. It's just Titans, Teen Titans, Justice League, and JLA are the four books that are immediately involved. Harley Quinn, we thought might have been involved just because it took a month off, but now that we know that Harley Quinn's getting a new creative team, it just seems like they're trying to like have a little bit of a gap in the the series, so that way there's. There's no confusion that it's a continuation of the previous thing, especially if they're not renumbering it. But Suicide Squad, I agree, should be involved just because I'd love to see a new direction with that series. And honestly, if they're going, if Ian's right about this two-year contracts that a lot of them had, I mean, that would make sense. But that means Rob Williams is only going to be on the book for a couple more months after after June because Suicide Squad launched in in august of 2016 so maybe we're just going to be getting a bunch of new directions and it's just going to be spread out over the next couple months because of you know these two-year contracts that could have happened with some of the higher profile books at the beginning of rebirth i do want to remind ed that i have a very large problem with tomasi i know i'm not the majority of fans but i exist and i have a problem with him taking over tech and that's uh, we've discussed that before so let's keep going Wow, that tech discussion was as heated as advertised on Twitter. I'm 100% on board that tech is a much more compelling Batwoman story than her own series. Her series is so incredibly boring. Love the idea of Stella doing an art segment of the reviews. I think Alvaro Martinez's gorgeous work for tech deserved a spotlight, but I'm sure the turmoil pushed it from everyone's minds. And Dustin was right about that a while ago. We definitely should be more cognizant of the art because... Sometimes we do like sometimes when we dislike stories, the art is can still be fantastic. Yes, that's exactly right. And the thing is, years ago, I can't remember if you both were here. Years ago, we used to do three questions. Two of them was always about the story. The other one was about the art. I don't. Remember, I just remember that, that was, but I don't remember how long ago that was. I mean, I've been doing this for such a long period of time and have had so many people on the podcast, but you guys have been here the longest for the longest amount of time. I don't remember if you guys were around when we used to do that format. I don't remember ever specifically having an art question. Yeah. Um, but it's something that we, we, and if anyone's got a suggestion on a good way for us to cover the art part, maybe it is going back to single question because I could do a podcast just on art because it's just, it's such a part of the medium. So. Yeah, and I wish I could. I mean, the thing is, I'm not an artist by any means. I'm not very creative when it comes to things in general. I'm very analytical. Um, so studying the writing is a lot easier to me, especially since I don't have, like, I'm, I don't, I personally don't review comics on the website specifically for the reason that I don't have any idea what to write when it comes to the art because I just am not knowledgeable on art in general. So it's not something that I'm 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 very good at criticizing or giving critiques to. So it's not something I feel like I can do justice if I did that. Um, so that's part of the reason why I don't bring it up. But I definitely believe that even a, a generic comment like "Let's talk about the art for a second and then like bring up highlights or dislikes or whatever. I think that's something we probably do need just to incorporate going forward. Because we all kind of like different styles too. Like you're very much like the DC house, house style, style. Yeah. you know. I kind of like it, like the abstract, the weird of, of Arkham. And I feel like that Stella likes the house style, but a little more like the pop type art sometimes, like you saw in Batgirl with like Babs Tar and stuff. I think the real problem with tech is the stretching that the button caused. D- delaying Tim's return and forcing Tiny to draw out Steph's plot line longer than 
made sense. I do agree with Stella that Tim's line about, quote, no tragedy, end quote, was a bit off. I liked Tim a lot in Tanya's hands, though. Love the Nathan to David analogy. Uh, excellent biblical reference. That's what I'm here for. Uh, firmly on Dustin's side of the argument. The point isn't whether Kate belongs on the Gotham Knights. The point is whether she should continue being a bat. I do think the title of the trial of Batwoman probably is more confusing than necessary. And I agree with that title. I think the biggest problem with that title is it was made into something that it probably shouldn't have. And I don't know that that, that name of the issue came specifically from Tynan. It's entirely possible because that stuff tends to be something that the writer comes up with. But every once in a while, if the story doesn't have a title, the solicitations will give it a title. And those come those solicitations always come from the editors. So who knows where it came from. But that I would agree that that specific title of the trial of batwoman probably did more harm in causing the argument between the three of us than than it needed to so well and quite frankly he makes a point here which is if the issue had been framed because me and stella's biggest part of the argument was that we it wasn't fair for non-team members to dis- to decide her fate if tinyan had framed it more like ian does which does she were although they touch on it but if they had made the central argument is she worthy of having a bat on her chest? That makes more sense for Nightwing to be, you know what I'm saying? Like that makes more sense that for Nightwing to be there than about the team. So if it had been framed like that, I would have probably been more sympathetic to it. When Sola made her case against Tiny and writing a Batgirl title, I was very upset. I think the mindset that female characters should only be written by female creators is profoundly destructive to comics right now. Christopher Priest spoke eloquently about this attitude in a recent interview, which can be found, there's a link, he posted it, in which he called it casting writers. The attitude that only black writers should write black characters drove Priest out of comics a decade ago, despite his extremely lengthy and successful career writing characters of all colors, men and women. He only returned to comics when Marvel and DC stopped only offering him black characters, and the books that have resulted are excellent. A good writer can write good men, women, gay, straight, religious, atheists. That's what makes them good, is their ability to research and imagine. Should only men write male characters? Of course not. Women have been historically ignored in comics, but forbidding men from writing female characters will do nothing but create hostility and a segregated mindset. Plus, it makes it more unlikely to see women in characters of all varieties, since the writers will be afraid to use any characters not like them, as happened to Tim Seeley when he was hired to write a black superhero, but left after a small group of fans pressured him to quit the title because he's white. We should want everyone to want to write characters who are different, not force everyone to write characters who are just like them. That goes against the whole point of reading and writing, because we want to know about other people, people not like us. I apologize for speaking so passionately, but I think it's incredibly dangerous and hurtful to say that any writer should be forbidden from writing a character because they do not share that character's category. And then he finishes with, I think you should do longer episodes. Everyone likes it when Stahl does it. Learn from her wisdom, which of course is the long-running gag here. Yes, it's the long-running gag because of Stahl's longer episodes on her show. So here's the thing. I... I agree. I, I'm hesitantly agreeing with Ian because of this. Okay, I have no. I am a white male, and I feel sometimes when I agree with statements like this, it's because I am a white male, even though I think that it is something that should be true no matter what. And it's one of those things where anybody should be able to write any sort of comics. It shouldn't be specifically 
females write females or a specific color writes a specific color character. I think it should just be uniform across the board. I agree with the sentiment that there are not enough females in comics or that are writing, you know, very large, uh, in demand, high titles. I feel like there probably should be more females. And that's not saying that there's not females out there who could write them because I know that there are females out there. I know there's lots of females that write indie books that probably should be given a shot on some of the other titles. And if given the shot, could do an amazing job. But the idea of having a specific writer not be able to write a character because of their gender, their sexual orientation, their their race, I think is ridiculous. But I say that knowing that anybody who's against that idea would say it's because I'm a white male and I'm saying that. But in reality, I don't think that, you know, like that we, we've talked about this in the past about how the Batman title and detective comics has only had X number of female artists over the years. Joel Jones was the third artist ever in the 75 plus years of publication that has ever been on the title. And there's only been two other ones. Becky Cloonan was one back when Scott Snyder did it and she wasn't on for very long. And then there was another one that was done in the Batman annual as Ian pointed out. And like those numbers are insane. There are lots of female artists out there that you would think should have a chance to draw something like this. Yes, it is DC's top selling book, you know, regularly, but at the same time, it does feel like you know, there are plenty of other books that, that if they need to work up, if anybody needs to work up towards something like that, then they there are plenty of other books that they can work up towards. They don't need to be on Batman right away, just like a male coming in the industry does not need to be on Batman right away. But there are plenty of books out there that DC, and I'm sure Marvel has a similar situation. I can't speak it speak to it as well as I can for DC, but I'm sure there are plenty of titles that could warrant females or different color different races or different sexual orientations writing and then give different perspectives for characters i mean everybody has their own unique takes on characters and things not everybody's always going to agree with them but the point is that eliminating certain groups of people to write or draw or you know be attached to certain creative teams i don't think is a good idea so i don't think there should be a litmus test per se like if you, you know, if you're not a woman, you cannot write back girl. But that being said, I also believe in the, you know, good writers write what they know. I'm a white male like Dustin. I also happen to be married to a female writer. So I believe that write what you know is smart. And I believe that sometimes handle having women handle the Batgirl book or the Batwoman book or lets them handle issues that it would be insensitive or delicate for a male to handle. Like I said, I don't believe in a litmus test. I don't believe like, well, dude, you're white, dude. You cannot write bad girl. I mean, that's silly. But sometimes I think that the stories result in, you know, better for a female character when they come from someone with that background. And I think that's common for for any sexual orientation, ethnicities, or, or anything else. I think that adding an authentic voice is never a bad thing. There is also a severe shortage of women in comics. And so is maybe mandating that the Batgirl team has to be a woman or the Batwoman team or the Supergirl team or the Black Canary team or the Birds of Prey team. Is that maybe going the other way? Maybe. It's like the Rooney Rule in football. You know what I'm saying? Like, you should always, if you give someone a chance, a female should always have a chance to pitch for those female-led books. And if the pitch is better from 
a guy and they decide to go the direction, I can live with that. But I think that they should have the opportunity to, to write those titles first. I mean, it's true. I mean, <clears throat> it's not the only thing that this is true in. I mean, in my job, I prefer to hire people with a military background. I give them preferential treatment, which I'm allowed to by law because they show up for work and they have great work ethic and I trust them. And so we do that. And I don't think that doing this is is any worse. I think that there's some credence to it. Again, not a litmus test, but I understand being prejudiced almost to it in a way in a positive way. Mm. Yeah, I Ian, <laughs> I really thought about this for the past couple of days, actually, when, when I saw that you uh, you wrote and you called me out. So I do want to first explain that it was the male-female situation and the fact that I just want more female creators out there, that the percentage is horrifying of if you put everything, colorists, letters, editors, it's just overwhelmingly male. And so I, I just want there to be more female creators. I absolutely think that you are correct that a good writer should be able to write anything. I mean, there's a high percentage of male writers being on these books with Barbara Gordon that I absolutely love. you got Chuck Dixon. You've got Brian Q. Miller on Batgirl that you and I, Ian, both really love. And, uh, you know, and at the same time, yeah, I'm not too, so hot on uh, Hope Larson. But then you have the Benson sisters doing a wonderful job. And I just want that opportunity to be given to someone. Now, you know, if a male can obviously handle it, I just would like to see someone else given a shot. So it's more like the male-female situation. I will say, though, and Ian, I think you were on my minority report, so you know how much I really appreciate and like to see authenticity that uh, just like Ed was saying you know you write what you know and I think that there are certain life experiences that people experience that other people do not I, I read that interview with Christopher Priest and I'm sorry you know he called it casting writers very much like typecasting right with actors that you're just going to fit into this particular role and you're never going to get out of it it's very unfortunate for him that he was just sort of pigeonholed in that in that moment but I do think that sometimes there are certain writers that have experiences or, you know, either color or orientation that they're going to experience something that other people are not going to experience. And I think no no amount of research can help correct that. And I'm a teacher. You guys know this. I took uh, a former student with me to... I say former because I taught her last year, to a UVA soccer game. And on the way back, we were just talking about different things. I know a lot about her her life story, but she's a 13-year-old. And I turned to her at one point with just full respect and love, and I said, you know, I think that you have probably gone through things and have experienced things that I will never experience or understand and she said you know I think you're probably right you know me twice her age and she's gone through you know these these tough things and I don't want to you know write about her life because I wouldn't be able to encapsulate that only she could be able to do that and so there are just certain things that I think you can't BS you've got to you've got to live it and empathy can only get you so far you've really got to live in someone's skin to be able to do that but even so there's this this amount of authenticity so I do uh, apologize for I, I potentially, you know, sh getting your, your ire up a little bit. But hopefully you recognize that I was coming at, at it from uh, that angle, the male-female angle, and also just thinking about authenticity and they have to be able to, uh, yeah, live, live certain things in order to write them properly. And I think ultimately it just comes down to we all just want really good comics. And we don't, 
it, it, and there's certain ways you can go about getting really good comics. And the best thing to do is pick the best people, whether they're specifically meant for a comic or not. The best people that are meant for a title or a series or a graphic novel or whatever, that's what needs to happen. So, But look at it like this, too. Like, Let's just be completely honest for a second. If you take the male-dominated comics that are wrote by male characters that are in DC, the Green Arrow is Batman's detectives, right? How many of those comics are being wrote by women? There's no major Bat Family books that are wrote by a girl. I don't. None of the Superman books are wrote by a girl. None of the Green Lantern books are wrote by a girl, right? Well, if you're, I guess, if you're taking Batgirl and Batgirl and the Birds of Prey and Batwoman, and I'm talking about the male-led books, right? All the Superman books, the Batman books, the Green Lantern books, the Flash books, they're all wrote by men, right? Mm. It's true. Yeah. I mean, it, it, so I'm totally cool with saying let's have more guys write Batgirl, but then I want more girls writing Batman. Sure. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like Higher tier books, potentially. I'm totally cool with that. I, I'm totally fine, but it's got to go both ways. Because if not, if you start taking... The, 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 the females off of the, the female led books and you're not going to start putting them on high profile guy books. Right. And I don't, I, let, okay. Let's not get too far into that. Cause it's not what he's implying here. He's implying. No, he's I'm not just saying, saying he is. right. And that is, a, that's a fact. Right. And the thing is like, it's not as if there are not females writers that are not being put on books. There was just a plastic man, which is a male book. That is a miniseries that was announced that's going to be written by Gail Simone. So it's not as if there are not other characters that are male characters that are written by females. Meredith Finch, no, I guess she was on Wonder Woman. When was the last time a Superman, a Batman, or a Flash book, or Green Lantern, the, the big DC heroes that aren't Wonder Woman and female-led, was, was wrote by a woman on an ongoing basis? They've never had a female on a Batman book, ever. Yeah, the closest was Devin Grayson, right, with Nightwing? Yeah, and that was, I mean, that's still, you'd have to say that's second tier. That's not Batman or Detective. Or so, I mean, I, I'm not a Superman scribe, but I, I read that book and have, since the New 52, I can never remember a, a female writing Superman or Action or Green Arrow or the Lantern books. Like, I just think it's got to go both ways. That's all. Yeah. All right, so our next comment comes from Donald, and he sent in his comment via YouTube. Strictly speaking for myself, I have to say that Batgirl, Damian, Wayne, Jason Todd, and Dick Grayson have no business whatsoever judging Kate Kane's fate. It was absolutely ridiculous to have them there and for them to even have an opinion when they were not part of the Gotham Knights team. It comes off as hypocritical and sanctimonious, and quite frankly, it pissed me off big time. Okay. Again, well, there's a, a couple more comments that have to do with the decision-making process. So let's just keep going with Stephanie. An idea for the Patreon rewards is for the higher tiers. Allow the page. Oh, this is a good idea. Allow the patron to be a guest on their podcast of choice. <laughs> I just had this image of someone popping on Backroll Oracle. Uh, or offer one of your podcasts of choice. I also noticed that a long time ago you used to give away comics from your long slash short boxes. Maybe you could bring that back again. If the patron wanted to, they could also do a live guest review of a Bat Universe book or have a review of theirs featured on the show. I think the idea of a live guest review 
could work. It's something that I've considered doing. The biggest issue with this is the vast majority of people who are interested in reviewing comics, they tend to work for the site. So they don't they don't does tend Stephanie to work for the site? No, she does not. No, she does not. But if Stephanie is interested, Stephanie is supporting us on Patreon. But the idea of being a guest on a podcast of choice, that is something I think I'm gonna swap out and originally we did have a reward tier that was like the fifty dollar, which I after doing this for number of months realized was way too high i realized that the there was a tier that actually did have you could be a guest on one of the two podcasts that we at the time had and the idea was you could be a guest that is something that i'm that i'm already considering bringing back especially with the return of the batman universe podcast with the new format that i have planned for that so that is something that is entirely possible um so look forward to that i can say that the long short boxes the comics giving away from those quite honestly i don't think anybody cared i did do that for like six months and nobody seemed to care i'd send them out people wouldn't even tweet about them they didn't care so i as much as i thought that that was a cool idea to just get free comics nobody really seemed to care all that much so that probably won't be coming back but the guest host is is a very very likely option so my two cents for the trial of Batwoman are that the word trial was more of hyperbole to get people to buy the comic, but it really did seem more like a what-the-heck-is-Batman-going-to-do meeting. Because as you guys pointed out in the podcast, the team is disbanded. You can't kick someone off the team if there is no team. I think this was more to determine whether or not to let Kate stay in Batman Inner Sanctum. See the link to the panel from Batman I Am Bane, I think, where Kate is one of the people Bruce relies on. In that regard, since Bruce needs help thinking things through, it would make sense to get in people that he trusts to be more or less level-headed. His family, Damien, while useless in this situation, still deserves to be there as his family. Not everyone is going to contribute the same to the conversation. Cass isn't there because Batman has a pretty good idea of her opinion and perhaps she can't be trusted in this instance because she is so close emotionally to the situation. All right, and then the last comment comes from Missy, which is all about the same thing, and then we're going to discuss this. And... Yeah, I would just caution us that we can't assume Batman was the one who gathered everyone there because Batgirl was under the assumption that it was actually a Tim thing. So it's a little ambiguous who is actually gathering. I think that might change things. But anyways, Missy for Missy, I literally have no idea what Ed and Stella are talking about. Oh, who who gets to see uh, whatever your name is, Dustin? I was about to call you Bruce. You're not alone. Who gets jurisdiction over the trial Batwoman? The Bat Family versus Gotham Knights? Of course Batman is going to go back to the people he trusts most. Even if the Knights hadn't already made their opinions about Batwoman's actions clear, right there on the rooftop, they are definitely now divided. Who else other than the Bat family is knowledgeable of the person, the situation, but can be objective in their judgment? Besides, Batgirl is probably right on the money. The Gotham Knights were a pretty desperate ragtag team of misfits that Batman slung together to give Batwoman her own little command force. She was his XO, commanding officer, but it didn't really matter who the soldiers were other than tim i guess normally i don't agree with dustin wah, wah. but sorry ed and stella this time you guys are way off base so missy i i loved your comment until you had to throw in that little bit at the what? end of normally not agreeing with me but anyway all right so i don't want to spend too much time talking on this because i i, I feel like we discussed it ourselves way too much but ultimately it comes down to this i think that here's here's my bullet points on 
the the thoughts that came in from the viewers and or the listeners as well as the like looking back at our conversation from the last episode i think there's a couple of things number one i think that the word trial probably was used way more than it should have been it shouldn't have been called the trial of batwoman it probably although i don't know how you would have rephrased that specific title but it wasn't really a trial it was more of to me it always just came across as this was the bat family deciding whether or not to keep batwoman linked into the system or linked into the group of the bat family you know whether or not she she should be setting up shop in gotham wearing that bat on her chest things like that that's what it ultimately came down to for me number two batgirl i do agree was probably dead on the team was a desperate attempt for batman to keep batwoman in the fold probably more than she should have been or like than she was and was a way for batman to control her to a degree even though she was never really supposed to, she should have never been in that position in the first place where Batman, you know, Batman basically leaves these decision making processes to her, but doesn't trust her to make the decisions herself. I still believe to a degree though, that the, the situation with her killing Clayface, I think it was, it was the wrong choice just because she is wearing that bat on her chest. So I fall in line with some of the members of the bat family like Tim, but at the same time, the idea of the Gotham Knights, and then the third bullet point I just want to point out, the Gotham Knights were disbanded by this, so I think the reason why they were not there or the massive amount of people, they had already disbanded the people who were left, such as Cass and Tim, and obviously I don't see why Batwoman would be there either, but like Luke and Azrael, they already had gone off, and we, as we see in this this more re- most recent issue, they have gone off in there with Kate, so they would have immediately sided with her. They don't see any issues with that. So it's it just comes down to, I think that if it was, like like Stella said, you know, it could be construed as who did call this meeting. Was it Batman or was it Tim? I believe it was Batman trying to find an explanation so that it doesn't come across that he's making a rash judgment. He wanted to bring in these people, especially like Batgirl, like Nightwing, who have a very different thought process than he does and think about things very differently than he does. And I think that's why he brought them in. Now, if it is something that Tim decided to do, then it changes everything. But I don't think that that's the case. Yeah, if Tim called the meeting, it does have a bit of a different feel to it. But, I mean, one of the things we talked about last week, yeah, this whole thing is just like, I don't know. Again, it comes back to me not being a big fan of the story beats. But look what it did to Cass. By alienating the the members of the team, except Tim, Cass didn't get a say in the matter. Now she thinks that they're out to kill him. I mean, like, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it was... uh, even in Tynion's writing, it doesn't seem like having that meeting is going to have a positive outcome for anyone. You, you alienated two members of the team who are now running with Batwoman on some Blackwater secret ops thing. And one of them thinks that the rest of the, the, rest of the Bat family might actually decide to kill her. And Tim and Bruce's relationship isn't great. So I don't think it even worked as part of the narrative. Maybe that's, maybe that's part of what Tynion's trying to say is that look how bad this idea was. It, it's it's had these consequences. So. Which it could be the reason why Cat, like I said at the beginning of this episode, I guess not really the beginning, but with the Detective Comics discussion, that that feeling's got to come from somewhere for Cass, and it could be all because she wasn't invited to this particular uh, of things. Now I would, I'm not going to change my uh, my little discussion. Obviously, I'm I'm talking in a calm manner here, but because Dustin brought up his feelings at the beginning of this, and, and that's obviously going into the episode, I do at least want to to say 
that's I'm very sorry that you, uh, that I made you feel this way, like attacked. And I guess that it's a consistent problem, and that I never attack you. Uh, it's never ad hominem, you know, attacks. I'm I'm just attacking or going after, or disagreeing with what you're saying. So it's it's never you. And well, I'm sorry that 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 it was an upsetting discussion. I accept your apology even though I don't think you really need to apologize because like you said, it's not really directed at me. It's just sometimes it's just the way it feels. Like I said earlier, I know you're not trying to do it the way you the, the way I'm interpreting. It's just the way, that's the way I am because we're very different. Well, yeah, I don't think any, I don't mean any offense either, but I tell you what it does make for. makes for a good podcast. That's true because, I mean, look how many people responded to the comments this episode. Yeah, so. there you go. So we should have something happen in these last two minutes so that I can create a clickbait Twitter tweet. No, just kidding. All right, so that is all of our listener Q&As. Obviously, we had a lot of stuff to cover this episode with uh, the comments from the last episode. And this episode, next episode, we're going to have the fallout from whatever happens at WonderCon, which I'm sure will, will be something related to Batman, so we'll discuss that. Outside of that, so head over to the website for all this news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and of course the comics. Check out all the comic reviews that we have Monday, Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday every single week. Check out all the other podcasts we have to offer. There are new episodes of Back with the Oracle, The Bat Fans, uh, Bat Books for Beginners, as well as uh, Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake. So be sure to check out all that stuff over on the website. Be sure to follow us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. If you are a member of the Facebook group, that is being closed down, and we are consolidating that over to our Facebook page. So be sure to look for our Facebook page over there. The link is on the site. Follow us on Twitter and YouTube for all these news and videos from the Batman universe. Also, be sure to leave us reviews in iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. Support us on Patreon and leave your comments on the podcast post for us to discuss next episode. Now, obviously, as I said before, if you leave your comments somewhere else, I try my darndest to port those over as I did with one of our comments today, which was posted over on YouTube. So be sure to leave those comments. Outside of that, be sure to check out us in two weeks as we return. And that is it. So that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Ed. And this is Mrs. Emma Peel. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks.